Welcome to Calvary Bible Church. I'm Pastor Rob. I'll be opening God's Word to you today. I'm privileged and honored to do it week by week. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 15. We are going to be studying verses 7 and 8 today. Certain large portions of the gospel are stories. It's what we would call narrative and you're kind of going scene by scene, and so you would move a lot more quickly. But then there are portions of the gospel that are uh, heavy in teaching, didactic. And so we slow way down when we get there because there's just so much meat. These are the words of Christ, and so we do not want to rush our way through this. Amen? I know one pastor that spent 10 years in the gospel of Luke, and so that's pretty impressive. We're not going to be doing that in John, but uh, as we are in this, I mean, this is just one of the best portions of the New Testament, in my opinion, the upper room discourse with Jesus and His disciples, so just having a great time slowing it down and looking at a couple verses at a time. All right, well, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we love You so much, so much. We're delighted that we can gather together as the family, as the body of Christ, and sing to you and to share in communion together, to remember what was accomplished for us there on the cross, to proclaim your death until you return, to remind ourselves and to preach the gospel to ourselves over and again. And so, Father, we, we praise you, we thank you for the good work that you are doing in our lives, in this church. We thank You for Your Word, and we ask that You would be exalted to the highest place as we set our hearts and our minds on Your truth. So, Holy Spirit, please speak to us through Your Word. Please open our hearts and our eyes. We give You this time, and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about union with Christ and fruitfulness in Christ. Jesus said that He's the vine, we're the branches. Whoever abides in Him will bear much fruit. And so we have gone uh, quite extensively into the analogy of the vine and the branch, and I showed some pictures last week, and we get that. It's a, it's a very simple illustration. The source of life, the source of fruitfulness, the source of change. It comes from being connected to the vine, and Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the source. When we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we are born again. We have the fruit of eternal life, and we have productive, fruitful lives for God that bless other people and that bless our Father in heaven. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about union with Christ, being in Christ, and subsequent fruitfulness that follows that. We're still in that context, but today, as we continue on, I really want to focus on the word abide, abide. Now, I told you guys last week that, you know, fruitfulness, fruit, the fruitful life, maybe that's not, that's not something that I think I even, a word that I used or even thought of as a non-believer. Uh, it wasn't until I became a Christian that I started to have this concept of being fruitful, being fruitful in God. And so I would say in the same way, this word abide is probably like that. I don't know that I really ever thought of or used that word. 
uh, outside of being a Christian, but what it essentially means is to remain. That's the idea of the word abide, to remain or to continue, to remain or to continue on in the state of being with, walking with, serving Christ. So the word presupposes that we are already connected to Him, right? Uh, In order to remain with Him, we must first be with Him. You follow? And so that is all kind of bound up in this idea, but then we must continue on in that state. We have to stay the course. We have to persevere. We have to press on. We must trust Christ continually, moment by moment, day by day. And that's what it is to abide. It's to trust Christ. That's the idea. It is trusting Christ, believing that He is who He says He is, that we need Him, that He can do what He says He can do, and to stay in that state perpetually. To abide in Christ is to believe Him and trust Him, and it is to continue believing and trusting Him. And therein lies the challenge, because that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't come so naturally for us so often. We, we have a propensity in the human heart to wander. There's, that's why there's that song, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It. You ever heard that line before? We can resonate with that because we know it's true. It is in our hearts to wander away from the God that we love. I don't know what it is, but it is there. And so we have to continue to trust. We have to place our trust in Jesus, and we have to continue to trust in Jesus. We have to stay the course. You know, to trust Jesus and then veer away and put your trust in something else is kind of like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute on, but you're concerned that the parachute might not work, so you have a rope tied around your waist that's still tied to the airplane just in case. Well, that makes no sense, right? Obviously, and we know what would happen when you reach the end of that rope. It's over with. But that's kind of what it's like to put your trust in Jesus, but then to say, however, I'm going to begin to put trust in other things like myself or my ability to keep the law or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. That's kind of the foolishness of it. And see, this was the very thing that was happening with the Galatians. In the the letter to the Galatian Christians, As you follow through that letter, there's this theme here, and the theme is that they started out well in Christ by faith, but they were tempted to go back to the law. That's the same thing that was happening with the Christians in the book of Hebrews. Paul says in Galatians 1, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There were people there saying, Christ is good, but Christ is not enough. You need to keep the Old Testament law. You need to depend upon good works to truly please God in addition to Christ. In chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So they started out well. They began in faith. They began in the Spirit. And now they're trying to revert back to keeping the rules, being a good person, 
obeying the laws of Moses in order to be pleasing in the sight of God, and it just doesn't work. Keeping our rules, whatever those might be, doesn't do it. That does not and will never make us pleasing to God. It is faith in Christ. It is trusting Jesus and continuing on in that state of trust. Paul says in Galatians 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. We've been set free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Do not take that slavery back on yourself. He says, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He's talking about one of the real key components of the Mosaic law. He says, I testify again that everyone who accepts that is obligated to keep the whole law. If you say that you want to keep God's law, then you have to keep it all. You can't just pick and choose, I like this law, I like that law. And if you break any law, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. And Paul says that you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And so let that be a warning to us. We have begun in the Spirit, trusting Christ by faith. We are connected to Him. We are abiding in the vine. And let us continue on to that end. Amen? Continue to trust Christ for salvation. Continue to run to Him for all of your needs, for your source of life and fruitfulness and usefulness and obedience in God. Now, the larger portion of Scripture here, Jesus gives us several reasons why we should abide. He says we should abide in Him so that we will bear fruit. We've been talking about that. He says that we should abide in Him so that we would glorify God in bearing fruit. And that's what we're going to talk about today. He says that we should abide for our own assurance so that we can have assurance in our own salvation. He says that we ought to abide out of love because we've been loved by God and we love God. Therefore, it follows that we will abide. And He says that we ought to abide for the sake of joy, for the sake of joy, that we would have His joy. And so today, we're not going to talk about all of them. We're going to really hone in on predominantly glorifying God, abiding in Christ for the glory of God. As you grow in Christ, you become very aware that the glory of God is the chief end of man. It is the ultimate reason why we live. It is the ultimate end to all things that we do. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do all for what? Say it like you mean it. Say it like you've heard it before. Okay, we do it for the glory of God. And so I want to focus on that today. That's what we're going to focus on. So really three points in these two verses, and I'm going to read these two verses every time that we go to the next point. And so the first thing that we see that brings the Father glory is answered prayer. Answered prayer is a fruit of abiding in Christ, and God is glorified in answered prayer. We love answered prayer, don't we? Let's look at verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you are Christ's, and Christ's Word is in you, then you can have confidence in prayer. That's an amazing thing to consider. 
the God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth, tells us that we can have confidence, that we can come to Him with expectation and prayer. We can have confidence in prayer through our union with Christ, such that Jesus said that whatever we ask will be done. That's amazing. That's an amazing promise. Now, this is not a blank check. This doesn't mean ask for a Lamborghini or ask for, you know, selfish gains and, and wants and pleasures. That's not the idea here. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to people who are abiding in Christ and who has Christ's words abiding in them. That's the idea. And so one commentator puts it like this, abiding is the secret of successful prayer. Abiding is the secret of successful prayer life. The closer that we get to the Lord, the more we will learn to think His thoughts after Him. The more we get to know Him through His Word, the more we will understand His will, the more our will agrees with His, the more we can be assured of having our prayers answered. Amen? Because we're praying in accordance with His holy will. We're praying in accordance with His heart. And that happens more and more as we abide in Christ. The more that we abide in Him, the more our wills and desires align, and the more answered prayer we will have. J.C. Ryle says, Christians of this stamp, we are told, shall not pray in vain. Whatever they ask, they shall obtain. So long as they ask things according to God's mind, no work shall be found too hard and no difficulty insurmountable. Asking they shall receive and seeking they shall find. Now, I don't think that was intended to be a poem, but it, you know, it sounds like one actually. It rhymes. So, um, man, it's, it's good stuff. There is no difficulty insurmountable to God. Ask and receive. Seek and find. Is that not the promise of the Scriptures? Are those not the the very words of our Lord Christ. You know, God is glorified when we pray. God is glorified when you pray. Why? Because it shows a dependence upon Him. God, I don't have the answers. God, I don't have the resources. God, I don't have the strength. God, help me. I need you. Lead me. Teach me. Provide for me. Strengthen me. We are declaring that we need Him and that we are coming to Him as the source of all good things in our lives. That glorifies the Father. The Father is glorified when we worship Him and thank Him in prayer, when we give Him the praise, when we give Him the honor. That's why we're supposed to start our prayers by our Father who is in heaven, reverenced be your name, hallowed be your name. How often do we start our prayers with thanksgiving? How often do we start our prayers with praise, with acknowledging certain things that are true about God and that He is worthy to be praised for? Something that my wife pointed out to me recently that really blessed me, I, I pray with my daughters before bed each night, and um, my youngest daughter, uh, Jess, asked her to pray recently, and she started praying, and her prayers were, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, she pointed out, and I thought, I had not even considered that, but praise the Lord. That's so cool that she kind of, she understands prayer as thanksgiving. 
just organically like that, and that is amazing to me, and that's the way that it ought to be. The Father is glorified in prayer when we do that. When we abide in Christ, bear fruit, come to Him in humble dependence, and give Him praise and thanks. The Father is glorified when we praise Him for answered prayer. This one's a little tricky because God does always answer our prayers. Even no is an answer to prayer. It's not the answer that we typically want. It is an answer. But I would, I would say that there are probably a lot of times that God answers our prayer and we didn't even realize it. So often we pray a prayer and forget that we even prayed it. Oftentimes we pray for people and we go on about our lives and we don't even know what the outcome was for that particular prayer request. And I would venture to say that if we knew just how often God was answering those prayers in the affirmative, we would be blown away, and we don't even recognize it. And the danger then is we don't give Him the thanks for it. He is answering our prayers. We don't even realize it, and we aren't even honoring and thanking Him for it. That's a dangerous thing. That's a, I'm convicted by that, you know. And so trying to be a bit more mindful of the things that we're asking and, and trusting God for and then doing some follow-up trying to uh, follow it up to the end and see what God did in that situation, I think would be really good for us. And then lastly, I would say regarding prayer, this is in the context of abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. And so I would say that's the number one thing that we ought to be praying for. I think that's really maybe what Jesus is hitting at here. We ought to pray that we would abide in Christ and that we would bear fruit. And we can be absolutely confident that God will answer that prayer. Why? Because it gives Him glory. It brings Him glory that what? We bear much fruit. And so we can pray with confidence. We can pray with great confidence that that is something that God delights to do, something that He delights to answer yes because it gives Him honor, it gives Him glory. So, God is glorified in answered prayer that comes from abiding in Christ. We have to continue on in Christ, amen? Continue on in Jesus and pray. Pray, 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 and give God the glory. And that brings us to our next point. The Father is glorified in your fruitfulness. That's what it says we're going to really dig into this now, and this is the point which I really want to deal with the issue of the glory of God, the glory of God. We talk about it a lot. I want to break that down a little bit. So the Father is glorified in your fruitfulness. Let's look at those two verses again, verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus says that the Father is glorified in bearing much fruit. Now, this makes sense to us. Just as an artist is glorified when people enjoy the work of their hands as they look at the painting and they're in awe of the skill and the expertise of the artist, of the painter, whatever, a musician, you understand? A chef is glorified when people eat that food, when they, they, they look at the uh, presentation of it, they enjoy the, the different flavors, and they give glory to the chef, do they not? 
And in the same way, a gardener is glorified when people see the work of their hands and eat of the fruit of the garden. And we are told in verse 1 that the Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. And so He receives much glory when we bear fruit. When we live fruitful lives in Christ that bless other people, the Father receives much glory for that. David Guzik says, the purpose of fruit bearing is to bring glory to God, not to the disciple. A branch that bears much fruit brings honor to the one who cares for the vine. And a disciple who bears much fruit in a spiritual sense brings honor to God. So the Father receives honor and glory because of our fruitful lives. And I am blessed by that because, one, I would desire that God would have the honor and glory do His name, but I know that God is deeply committed to my fruitfulness as a result because He is deeply committed to His own glory. That statement right there, God is deeply committed to His own glory. That, I just cannot emphasize that enough. That is the bedrock of the Christian faith. That is the the central point. God is for God. God is committed to His own honor and glory forever. And the the testimony of the Scripture is, is overwhelming to that end. The chief end of God is to glorify God and to enjoy His glory forever. And the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy His glory forever. And now, what is God's glory? We use that term a lot. What is God's glory? Well, there's a few different ways in which that can be used. In one sense, God's glory is uh, in the Bible. It's the, the light that shines from His manifest presence. He dwells in unapproachable light. In a sense, that is the radiance, the glory of God, if you will. But God's glory is the sum total of all of His perfections. The more that you read and study and learn about God, it just blows blows my mind. It just takes me to a deeper place of worship as I consider God, His nature, His attributes, His works, the works of His hands. As you consider the fact that God cannot learn anything because He knows all things, if you consider the fact that God cannot change, He does not change, He can never approve upon who He is or be better because He is perfect in all His ways. As you go on to consider all of these different facets of the character and nature of God and the fact that God is all of those things 100% simultaneously perfectly, He never suspends one to exercise another, what is God doing right now, you might ask? He is simultaneously exercising all of His attributes. I mean, it's amazing. And that is God's perfections. Those are His perfections. That is the glory of God. God is magnificently greater he is uniquely different, and He is altogether other. There's nothing, there's nothing, no one like Him. He is high and lifted up. Isaiah 40, 25 says, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like Him? There is no one, nothing like our God. Amen? High and lifted up. The book of Hebrews says that when God swears an oath, He swears by His own name. Why? Because there's no greater name for Him to swear by. When we swear by something, when we make an oath, we tend to try to base it upon something greater than our own word, greater than ourselves. That's an impossibility for God. 
God has to swear by His own nature. Romans says that God judges by His own righteousness. His own righteousness is the standard. Why? Because there's no greater standard. There is no greater standard by which God can judge because He is the most righteous of all, perfectly righteous. And the Bible declares that God delights in His own glory above all else because there are no greater perfections or glories for Him to be enraptured by other than His own. If the Father delighted in anything above Himself, He would be an idolater. Think about that one for a second. If God delighted in anything above Himself, He would be an idolater. He must. He can do no other than to delight in His own perfections and to enjoy His own glory. Now, that might sound bizarre to our ears. We might hear that and think that sounds kind of egotistical, you know? What, what is that noise? Is that coming from up here? Okay, sorry. If, if, I didn't know if it was coming from behind me. It sounded like it was. Um, it's almost as if God thinks He's God. You know? That's, who does He think He is? He's God. He's God. And there, He is glorious. He's high and lifted up. He's transcendent. He's majestic. And He is worthy to be praised, adored, and enjoyed forever. John Piper says, Why is it important to be stunned by the God-centeredness of God? Because many people are willing to be God-centered as long as they feel that God is man-centered. Think about that. Many people are willing to be God-centered as long as they feel God is man-centered. It's a subtle danger. We may think we are centering our lives on God when we're really making Him a means to self-esteem. And that really is the zeitgeist of this age. I mean, God is really into us. He is really into us. And so we're all about God because God is all about us, and He, he exists to do our bidding. He exists to make our lives better. He exists to fulfill us and to give us true pur uh, purpose, and, you know, on and on it goes. Um, but, that, you know, God forbid, may it never be. God is the chief end of all things, and His glory is to be put on display forever. And we exist not for our glory, but for the glory of God. Matthew 5.16 says that we're to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give the glory to our Father who is in heaven. We do what we do for the Father's glory who is in heaven. Ephesians 2, 7 says that in the coming ages, God will show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For all of eternity, God is going to be putting His grace and kindness on display through us because we're in heaven, because we are redeemed, because we have been saved, justified, glorified, and the fact that we are even there is a testament to God's faithfulness, His goodness, His kindness, His grace. And all of that will be put on display for all of eternity. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're the workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship there, it comes from the Greek word poema. It's essentially the word for poem. And so the idea there is we are the work of God's hands. We are God's work of art, if you will. And again, that is so that the artist, the poet, would be glorified through the work of his hands and his mind. 
So we exist for the glory of God. God delights in us because we are the work of His hands, and God takes much delight in our fruitfulness because it's an extension of His work in our lives. Amen? So it seems obvious that the Father would answer our prayer to be fruitful. I suggest that we frequently pray that we would abide in Christ and that we would bear much fruit to the glory of God. I mean, I hope that we can rest in that. I hope that we can celebrate in the fact that because God is for God's glory and we are in Christ, He is absolutely, absolutely going to conform you to the image of His Son. He's going to give you victory. He's going to make you fruitful and useful for His purposes. He is going to make your life a very productive life for His glory because that is His goal. And so that gives us confidence because I don't have much confidence in myself. I don't. And the fact that God is for God and for His glory ultimately, and I know that He can use even someone like me for His glory, I rest in that. Thank you, Jesus. God, help me. God, help us to abide in Christ and to bring you glory. Amen. And that brings us to our last and final point. The Father is glorified in our assurance. The Father is glorified in your assurance. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Emphasis on prove there. If we abide in Christ and His words abide in us, we bear much fruit and we so prove to be His disciples. This brings us to the doctrine of assurance. Assurance is one of those things that all Christians can have, should have, must have. You know, in the the book of 1 John, there are four things that uh, he desires of us, four reasons why John wrote that little epistle. One, that our joy, our joy would be complete so that we would be joyful Christians. Two, that we would not sin, but if we do, we would know that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. Three, so that we would not be deceived. And four, that we would know that we have eternal life by trusting in the name of Jesus Christ. So those are four things Christians ought to have. Joy, holiness, doctrinal security, and assurance of salvation. And here we're talking about assurance. You must have that as a believer. And so many Christians don't have that. They don't live their life from a place of joy. They live their Christian life from a place of, you know, torment even at times, constantly doubting their salvation, constantly thinking God is mad at them, constantly thinking that God, God paid such an awesome price to win them, but now He cannot wait to smite them right? Isn't that how we live our lives so often? Everything that God did to win us, and now we live under this weight that God's going to get us the first chance that He gets. That is so unbiblical. That, that does not glorify God. God is glorified in our assurance. Um, one article I read, it says, assurance of salvation is a God-given confidence for every true believer in Christ of their present approval and future acceptance by the Father. We have His approval right now. 
I like that word, approval. Many people are living for the approval of another. Many people are living for the approval of, say, a spouse or their boss or you fill in the blank. Many people are living for the approval of someone else. And there are people that are living for the approval of God when you already have it in Christ. If you're in Jesus, you have the Father's approval right now. Stop striving for something that already belongs to you. I heard a story, I don't want to butcher this, but it was about a, uh, and I'm pretty sure this is a true story, there was a painter who had amassed this uh, huge collection of paintings and very, very ambitious in trying to acquire the things that he desired to have, and he came across this one painting that he really wanted, so he, he had someone go out to search the world over to get this painting and spare no expense so that he could add it to his collection. And Try as the person may, they couldn't find it anywhere. You know why? Because it was already in his collection somewhere, and he didn't even know it. And so that's how Christians often live. We have the very thing that we are striving for in Christ. We have the assurance of our Heavenly Father. We are accepted by Him. And so the grounds or the basis of our assurance they're rooted in first and I would say foremost, continuing to trust Christ for salvation. That is where our assurance must lie, first and foremost. I am trusting Christ for salvation just as much today as I was the day that I bowed the knee to Him. I'm recognizing more today than even then that I need Him more now than I realized even then. And so I'm continuing to trust in Him. I'm not now looking to myself to be able to do better because I know better. I'm still trusting Christ for salvation. I'm still abiding in Him. I'm still looking to Him as the author and perfecter of my faith. And so that is, number one, the grounds uh, of our assurance. But it is also the promises of God, believing and resting in the promises of God. I've talked about this frequently. John 6, it's one of the greatest ones that uh, Jesus will not lose any that the Father have given Him. He will raise them up on the last day. That's, that is an assurance that we can take to the bank. Are we resting in that? We have assurance in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is to say that if you have the Holy Spirit of God, that is God's down payment. That is God saying He is going to make good on His promise to you, that you will be with Him in paradise one day. And He is, he is uh, giving you this demonstration here and now that he means business by giving you his Holy Spirit. But lastly, and Jesus says, the fruit, the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit is absolutely a basis of assurance. We prove to be his disciples through fruitful lives. Abiding in Christ and fruitfulness, we prove, we demonstrate that we are in fact disciples. Fruitfulness says a lot about our identities. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. And so we will be known by our fruit the fruit of our lives, the fruit of our confession, 
We say that we trust Christ. We say that we're abiding in Christ. We say that we love His commandments and that we're keeping His commandments. Do you see fruit in your life? Do you see the fruit of your profession of faith? Do you have assurance that you are in Christ? Are you delighting in Him? Are you delighting in His Word? Are you being a blessing to other people? That's a huge component of this that I didn't get into because that will really come out in the following verses. Are we being a blessing to other people? Are we loving other people? That's a, that is really central to keeping and delighting in Jesus' commands. So, what is the fruit like in our lives? Well, let me just say this, kind of in closing. The Father is glorified in our assurance because there is rest in assurance. You know, when you, when you make somebody a promise, <clears throat> say they're really stressed about something that's coming up, an upcoming event, let's say, and you're like, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you with that. You don't have to worry. I got your back. And still they're stressing out. What does that say? What does that tell you that they think about your promise to them? It's not of much, not, not of much uh, meaning or worth because they're still stressing out. And so if we rest in our assurance, if we rest in the promises of God, if we trust in Him, is the Father glorified? Absolutely, the Father is glorified. The Father is glorified. You know, there's a picture I was going to show at the beginning of the service, and I totally forgot. I was hoping I'd be able to work this back in. Uh, this kind of goes along with the airplane and the rope thing, uh, media folks, if we could throw that picture up. Okay, so I know this guy. I've showed you all this picture before. Um, that is crazy to me. He's, he really trusts that, that rope, doesn't he? Would you say that that is trust? That is absolutely trust. Uh, let's go to the other picture. And so he's got this, this harness right here that is strapped to the tree, and he, he cuts this tree off, and of course the crane lifts it away, and it looks like it's hanging right over his, his face, really. And so he is, he is resting in the assurance that that is going to hold him up there. Could you imagine that if all of a sudden he thought, I don't trust this strap, and he's just latched onto the tree like this, and he's even trying to work, he's trying to cut the tree while just you know, grappling onto the tree for dear life, he would get hurt. And so one thing that you know, one of the fundamental things is in this line of work, you've got to trust the harness. You've got to lean back and rest in it. If you don't, you will get yourself hurt. And so this guy understands what it is to trust. And so, uh, thank you, that's enough for the picture. We've got to know what it is to trust Christ. We have to know what it is to lean back and to let go and rest in His promises, to have assurance in Him and who He is and what He has accomplished for us, and that He will make us fruitful and that we will bring Him, in, him glory. Amen? It speaks to the fact that we trust in His character and in His promises when we have assurance in Him. One last little quote here. This isn't exactly in line with what I'm talking about, but it's close. John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I love that. When we are satisfied in Christ, when we rest assured in His promises, when we give Him much glory, God is glorified in that. 
And isn't that the end to which we live now as Christians? The glory of God is the chief end. And God is glorified when we abide in Christ and bear much fruit. God is glorified in answered prayer. And God is glorified when we rest assured in Him. And we are most satisfied in that state. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love You. We give You the glory. We give You honor. Thank You, Lord, that You have, through Your Son, made us alive. Through His death, burial, and resurrection, His substitutionary payment on our behalf, through the coming of the Holy Spirit that He promised, the Comforter who indwells us, we're born again as a result. Through all of that, Lord, we have this hope, we have this, hope, we have this confidence, this assurance We have fruitful lives for you, God, and we thank you. Lord, we pray that you would make us more fruitful. We pray that you would give us more confidence, more hope, more assurance, that you would make us more effective so that we would bring you even more glory. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. Help us, God. We are prone to wander. We are prone not to abide. We are prone to be distracted by so many other things, so many lesser things, the shiny things of this world that do not satisfy, the shiny things of this world that do not fulfill. Father, forgive us. We praise you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May He make His face shine upon you. May He lift up your countenance and give you peace. May He make you fruitful for His glory. May He strengthen you in your inner person according to His glorious grace. May He give you assurance and rest. And may you rejoice in answered prayer this week. And may He go before you. In Jesus' name, amen.